Welcome to On The Block with Richard Stone. Richard is a 40-something construction company owner based in the UK. His passions are technology, business automation, customer experience, and helping other small business owners using his own valuable life and business experience. This podcast will be a mixture of solo spots, casual conversation, as well as inspirational key people of influence from their respective fields. Make yourself comfortable and enjoy listening. Here is your host, Richard Stone. So, good afternoon and welcome to the man, Marcus Leonard. Good afternoon. We're going to talk a few different things around what what people might be struggling with and be challenged with around their stress and their mental health and anxiety this afternoon and what better person to talk to than Mr Leonard who is remarkably renowned for his knowledge in this field so good afternoon. Thank you sir yeah hope I don't disappoint. Um, I'm sure you won't. Do you want to just give us a couple of sentences about kind of your your background and your almost your biography but succinctly? So I I worked in the sciences and then I was at uni doing business studies actually and I did a module on psychology and thought well that's really interesting and then I did a few more and thought no it's not <laughs> then I got a tap on the shoulder off the head of psychology who uh, Barbara Malley wonderful woman who really changed my life you know you, you get these people who've punctuated your life and changed it for you she did that for me and I kind of did some more in psychology but more in philosophy but then I went off to train as a counsellor and, and then in what's called cognitive behaviour therapy. While that was going on, there were two instrumental guys in the UK, and, and this isn't talked about a lot, but we've got, um, in our healthcare system, we've got one of the most innovative um, areas worldwide and in the history of the human race. And there's two guys, David Clark and Lord Layard. David Clark, a professor of psychology at Oxford, um, all-round super guy, you know, if you watched um what's he called the guy on youtube uh professor um jordan peterson um he's the equivalent over in toronto um, okay but but it, by all means his his achievements today are um are an inch compared to the mile of of the local guy we've got david clark who's a prolific writer but what he did which makes every all of his predecessors pale is that he came up with a strategy to improve psychological therapies to everyone in the country. The World Health Organization recognized that anxiety and depression, for whatever reason, we could spend hours talking about that, have started to hockey stick. So, so, so just lift into um, you know, going from one in 200 to one in 20 to one in four to, to basically everybody who has an episode of uh, mental health, mild to moderate, common mental health disorder, and they set about, they recognised that this was going to be uh, an epidemic, uh, a problem that we had no way of coping with. And, and of course, there's this massive link between um, mental health and physical health. And of course, the, the movers and the shakers in the NHS are always trying to be one step ahead of how do we cut this cake and how do we make the resources work? So they came up with this idea called Improved Access to Psychological Therapies. It's now known as IAPT, I-A-P-T. And every trust in the country has an IAPT unit. 
and the reason that they have that is because of David Clark and Lord Layard and, and a lot of other instrumental people uh, that I've not read enough about but I'm sure they didn't do it on their own. Now this, when I say this I'm not exaggerating, this, this is the most sophisticated and successful psychological strategy the world has ever seen and ever will and it is it is not just gone nationwide it has it has shattered all um language barriers cultural barriers this year 2019 it went into seven new countries it's being copied uh, carbon copies of this are going into australia sweden japan israel toronto california it, it, it is just being it's spreading like wildfire because it's so successful and and we are at the center of this because of this guy david clark um, and he's put this uh, straight in the heart of the nhs now the again we use the analogy it's a bit like when your wife goes shopping and says look how much i saved but for every person we treat in our yards, <laughs> we've we, all been there yeah we, we spend a certain amount of money on that person but the, the repercussions of that, we save so much more in physical health. And, and so the more we treat, the more we save. And next year we'll treat 1.9 million people in IAT. Wow. It, it, it is phenomenal. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not always a fan of big structures and automated structures and, and getting away from cottage industry. But this is something that we don't talk about. And it, and it is, it is, one of the biggest achievements the NHS has ever um, encountered uh, and it's massive and not a lot of people have heard about it so I am very proud to be a very small cog in the IAPS wheel. Um, I qualified as IAPS started I was working in a multi-moderate medium secure adolescent eating disorder and brain injury unit um, at the time when IAPS started and for whatever reason I'm not sure why I took the jump it is a challenge it means working at pace. The American model of intervention is, is a bit like the Booper model. It's like having a dentist that you go and see very frequently. In America, you go and see a psychiatrist. They're very medical based. And you carry on with them through your life. In, in the UK, we operate a different model and we, we uh, treat people in short episodes. We try not to come across as an expert in somebody's life. We try and empower that person to realise that they're the expert in the life and, and that they've become distracted with other things and we can refocus them and refocus, very much like the medical model in the, um, in the immune system, refocus their own strategy to um, deal with their difficulties and burst in with uh, an intensive form of treatment and quickly retract out and move on to the next person. So that we try not to have big waiting lists and we try not to um, let people stagnate in the system and become uh, lifetime uh, patients if you like well yeah. i'm blown away by <laughs> mm. me. what a rewarding part of the nhs to be involved in i think it's i mean i've worked for the nhs but not as a as an employee i've done building work and yeah. contracts for the nhs all sorts of stuff like mortuary upgrades um specialist baby care units back office stuff all sorts of stuff and it's just chock full of people that just want to do good um 
And I've, you know, I've never, I mean, I've seen bad apples in a lot of industries, but I've never seen any in the NHS. It's always just people that want to turn up and do some good and deliver some care. Whether that's, whether that's by providing supplies because they're a procurement officer or whether that's because they're on the front line helping people that are struggling to have children, they all have got that common sort of thread that runs through them, that they are a caring tribe of people. So what a great place to be. Indeed. Cool. So we've got some standard... Sorry, go on. I think that comes down, there's a, there's a, there's a psychologist called Skinner and, and he says, his philosophy, it's not, it's not readily accepted, but it, it can't be dismissed. And he says, if you create an environment, then the people or the organisms within it will, com they'll comply with that environment. And I think with the NHS, I think that is a strong argument. And if, if you, if you create a big organization whose primary function is, is not to, um, compete with another organization it's to get people in the door get them well improve them in whatever way you can and send them out again then that 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 i think that is what produces the attitude you see in the nhs workforce i think that's why we're so lucky you know we um i, I um uh, I, one of my duties is as a budget holder of some services and, and they're big numbers. These are big numbers that the NHS is in charge of. But one other thing, I mean, I don't, I'm not an accountant and I shouldn't be trusted with numbers and large sums of money. Um, I've no qualifications for that. Um, again, we have specialist accountants and um, business specialists who sit down with us and guide us when we're, when we're dealing with this. And one of the things you do get to recognize, you look at this, there's no profit and loss. We, that every person there is not there to make a difference to bring a profit out that's missing from the sheep yeah. and when you actually kind of look at the numbers and you think well what would that look like if we were trying to make a profit it's just absurd it's just like what what, 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 what why would you do that you know and it's just the only thing we're trying to do is improve people's well-being health lives and and it's such such a nice place to be you know i think I use the analogy sometimes with people that in life you can, you know, in, in the stations that you can occupy, you can be a, probably a mortician at one end and a blue coat at the other on a holiday camp, you know, seeing people at their very worst at one end of the scale and, pe and seeing people having a good day, hopefully on holiday. Um, and I think I'd, I'd rewrite that and, and put NHS stuff, maybe not at the minute, but put them over that other line. You know, people often say to me, as a therapist, say, how do you manage sitting with people who are depressed and anxious every day, you know, multiples of, you know, sometimes, you know, having thoughts about, um, difficult thoughts about ending their life and whatever you, why does that not take a toll? And I thought about it for a minute because it does take you back, you think, yeah. And, and then I thought, it, 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 the answer came pretty quickly and pretty easily that I, I'm not sitting with, well, I am sitting with people who are depressed and anxious every day. Uh, and, and sometimes suicidal but i'm sitting with people who are getting better and i say there's no place better to be than sitting with people who are getting better it's very very infrequently that we sit with people who get worse so it's, that must um, be quite a powerful thing actually because like you absolutely. say if people are on that positive i'm a big big believer in sort of positive thinking and mindset but if people are actually on that upward trajectory that are getting better because they're working on those things, that must actually be quite a joyful place to be because you get to watch people actually improve 
and reframe their thoughts and refilter what they're thinking and how they're feeling to actually come out the other side feeling a lot better. Indeed. it. Nothing better. Yeah, I, I can imagine. Think. Cool. Possibly. Right. Yeah. So we've got a few questions to kind of dig below the surface about Marcus and get to know you a little bit better. So yeah. what did you want to do as a child? What, what was the job that sort of you thought as a child? Oh, I fancy having a go at that. Oh, do you know, I, as a child, I, I'm almost embarrassed to say this. I, um, I was, um, I was focused about three inches in front of myself and, and I never really looked up. I, I can say I fully embraced, um, childhood in, in that, you know, I wanted to be outside, I wanted to climb trees, I wanted to ride my bike and, and, and I was just naive to anything beyond that, um, I suppose I just wanted to just carry on being a child. It's the honest answer. I'd love to cool. make something up about being no, no, an astronaut or a no, policeman. Or so. The it, best answer it, is the honest answer. Yeah, I, 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 I was oblivious, absolutely oblivious to ever growing up. Um, I, I just, yeah, I fully immersed myself. I was very lucky to be one of these children who was, um, you know, at any chance that there was a crack in that door, off and I was through it, and I was, and I wasn't coming back until I needed to. My my mum and dad had it in their head that I should have been a pianist, so I was strapped to the piano for the first couple of hours a day. Right. And as soon as that timer it, bang, I was out, and I, I was not going back. So it was, um, yeah, that that's the honest answer. It was, uh, yeah, cool. Um, so, okay, so moving on. So, favourite famous person or person of inspiration? So, uh, yeah, that, again, that, that would be, um, David Clark would be one of those. This, this guy who's very, um, very modest and very quietly has, has, has given this country this gift. Phenomenal. And it's only when you start to, when you're a bit boring like me and you listening to sort of psychology professors around the world and listening to what nuggets are coming up, then you start to think, wow, we, we've got, you know, Jordan Peterson gets millions of views on mm. YouTube and has got, and, and does great work, not taking anything away from what he does. Um, and, and he's a, a very charismatic deliverer of, of what he believes in and, and what he puts forward. But when you look at what we've got here, right here, and um, what, what Toronto are copying. <laughs> uh, we, he is an awesome guy. I've met him a couple of times, um, but if I could, it's always a, um, you know, at conferences and things like that. So to actually spend some time with somebody, it would be, it would be a chat like that, you know, David Clark. Cool. That's two questions in one done then. Okay. So for three things for room 101, what, what are three things that, that you'd like to see the back of? Oh, am I allowed to say a Tory government? I shouldn't say that. I'm, I'm not. I'm just... <laughs> Boris, bless him. Yeah, there's, there's got to be something better he could be doing. Um, yeah, uh, capitalism. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I, I just I think um, at this time uh, that we're having now, one of the really good things that's going on, and I know this doesn't apply to everybody, um, and I'm not minimising that for people. A lot of people in the country seem to be enjoying good mental health right now. National referrals into mental health have plummeted. They've gone, they've gone right down. Now, there's two reasons for that. One is that we, uh, people don't feel they can get in touch. Or, or number two, um, uh, mental health has gone right down. 
and, and I like to kind of, and, and it's dangerous to make assumptions and say that's definitely it, and I'm not doing that. But if it has, you can you can see that um, the, the one of the things that's come out of this COVID situation is the government, and all credit to them, they have put health and well-being right at the top of the list again. Whether they're Tory, it, it doesn't matter. They, they've gone. Do you know what? Nothing else matters apart from that you're well. We're stopping everything. Yeah. And, and, I, and I think um, that is, I think it's brilliant. I think, you know, no matter who they are, no matter, who, no matter where Boris came from or what he's yeah. good at or what he's not good at, fair play, absolutely brilliant. Can't knock him for that. Um, yeah, I wasn't a big fan, I must admit. Um, I, I wasn't a big fan of him personally. Um, no. but, but what I would say is that pretty akin to what you've just said pretty much that, that I don't think right now we would want for anyone different. I think they've done an absolutely stellar job given the resources they've had, given the challenges that they've got and the fact that they, like you quite rightly say, they have put health and well-being firmly, absolutely at the top of the agenda, way above any kind of economics or monetary issues or anything else. It's all about health and well-being and that's firmly where it should be. Indeed. And I think when you look around society uh, and, and, that's we're picking up on that um and and i think when a society starts to look after itself and prioritize the health and well-being of each other mm. that that's when you, you 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 really start living in a place that you want to invest in you know massively and i think that's one of one of the things that i've seen that's been so encouraging is actually people are looking out for each other this isn't just about people looking after their extended family or their immediate family. They're helping out neighbours, people that they ordinarily would probably walk past in the street because it's yeah. too busy or preoccupied with other stuff. That is a massive, massive legacy for COVID-19 that's positive. Indeed. And I think, it, and again, it just brings out the opportunity where people can show their true colours. And if you, if you take away the competitiveness, the competitiveness the struggles of daily life what people want to do if they've got time and they've got the opportunity is to help somebody who needs it mm. i think that's what people want to do in the main and, yeah and, i mean gen genuinely so i think you're right yeah. i mean you've only got to look at the sort of the threefold oversubscription of the people that wanted to sign up to be helpers and i think we were we were termed as like responders because um, yeah. me, me, and my wife and my contract friends were all signed up to do it, and yeah, a good something. And I mean, that was like yeah. people were staggered that people there was that level of interest. Um, so I, I would agree. I mean, I did hear a statistic the other day about the, the actual number that's associated with the reduction in people that have been referred for or self referred for mental health. Um, mm -hmm. And I was absolutely staggered. It was it was in excess of a seventy five percent reduction. Yes. Um, and, and I was I was talking to somebody on a, a different podcast a couple of days later, um, who's into conscious leadership, and she's done quite a lot of very very high level stuff. And we were talking about where people are, where different people are at different stages in the. I think it's the Kubler Ross the change curve. Yes. Um, and one of the things that we were talking about was that everybody sort of progresses along that journey, along that curve at different paces. So so maybe some of that could be that actually a lot of people still are actually trapped in the actual, this the kind of the bottom of that curve where, I can't remember where the words fall, but I think pretty much at the bottom of that curve, that's where people are at their lowest ebb. 
I mean, it may be that some people are actually still feel that way, but they are literally just at the bottom of that curve and don't feel like a that don't feel that that they want to because people tend to sort of go into kind of like internal mental lockdown mm-hmm. and they don't want to reach out. And I think there's probably that, and there's probably the amount of of publicity about the pressure the NHS is under. There's probably a little bit of people thinking, well. I don't feel like I can right now because they're too busy with, with other stuff. So I think there's a number of reasons, but, but I do also think that actually for a lot of, there's probably a lot of, there's, there's different varying levels of degree. So there's people that, that are still going to have problems, but there's people who's perhaps whose problems weren't as much as they perhaps thought they might have been. And this change in circumstances actually helped them to overcome them on their own, almost self-medicated, if you like, by changing circumstances. Is there any validity in that point of view, do you think? Or am I just talking crap? There is not. I think you've hit the nail on the head. And I, I think it, it, it's, it, it's dangerous to draw any conclusions from what is happening. I mean, it could be it could be that mental health has got worse, that people are conscientious of thinking, I'll stay away because it's face-to-face. So how would I do that? So, so mental health's getting worse and we don't know and a pressure cooker effect. And, and the NHS are gearing up for that. Um, that, that, is, that is the play. Um, but it could also be that actually mental health has temporarily subsided because we've changed what we do. Mm. Let's hope it's that, but we'll prepare for the worst. Um, but the, uh, yeah, there was another point that's, that's escaped me. Um, this happens at my stage in life. It's... Uh, some of the it happens to all of us. Spinning. I call yeah. it a senior moment. Indeed, indeed. Yeah, it'll come back to me, I'm sure. Okay. So one of the things that, that I've struggled with, and I'm going, kind of going to use this as an opportunity to have a chat to you about some of the bits, because I know from experience when I've talked to other people about the fact that I've been to counselling, I know that's helped other people. Um, mm-hmm. So it's kind of a little bit, I'm going to, not hijack today, but I'm going to have a chat with you about some bits that, that are personal to me, because I think they would help yes. others. Um, and one of those is that, there's lots and lots of people, not just on social media, but on the news as well, and in all sorts of different ways, that are using the time they've got now to, to go and get a new skill, to take up a new form of exercise. And they're shouting about this to the world, and they're telling the world that they're great, and they've, you know, they've not run a marathon, but they've gone and run 10K today, or they've gone and baked a new cake, or they've done all sorts of really positive stuff. And that's brilliant. For these people, I, I genuinely am pleased. But there are other people that are actually really struggling to just carry on yes. and put some positive and keep maintain a positive mindset. Um, what would your advice be for people that are struggling? Kind of, this isn't somebody that's, that's ill, but perhaps needs to kind of maybe just like re- readjust their filter, maybe, or reframe their thoughts a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Well, one of the things that we know, and again, everything's everything we look at it is in terms of a spectrum. So you'll have really bad and and, and really mild, and um, so it, we can't capture it all. But the in terms with if we if we take if we take the depression aspect of anxiety, um, we we know that the mood regulation and well-being generally is governed by a reward circuit. This is a physical structure in the brain. It, it's, it's, it, it's fairly well understood now. It's dopamogenic in nature and it regulates serotonin. And if you are mechanically minded, it's a bit like the ignition system on a car. And as we go about our daily lives, we get 
um, fairly regular bursts of serotonin, which keep us um, motivated, focused, uh, and rewarded, which is why we call it the reward circuit. When we um, when we encounter a significant behavioural change, then we we will undoubtedly interrupt the regularity of that reward and we can um, we can see that go wrong even when life apparently gets better for some people when stresses are taken away because the strategies that they put in place to deal with those stresses give them relief and give them reward so so by by um, significant changes to their daily pattern we have to be careful now you know if you think about somebody might come back and say well you know we go on holiday for two weeks and that's 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 good you know going on holiday is a is a nice place to be and it's a complete change you know you don't you know you get up in the morning but you don't commute you don't have these things to do you don't have to do things to keep life spinning it, it all goes down to the bare minimum but if you if you if, if i bring this back to kind of a cbt approach which is the integration of your thoughts your emotions and your behaviors um, now, if, if you imagine going on holiday and you're doing a bit of sunbathing, so as a behaviour, and, and you imagine the thoughts that you're having. Now, most people, while they're doing a bit of sunbathing, if they're, um, if, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll keep, the, we'll keep the, um, the cast of Benidorm out of this, but the, uh, they might be thinking about, you know, I'm relaxing, um, I'm five minutes away from, uh, you know, a gin and tonic, We'll go somewhere nice for tea tonight, and, and, and you know, with freckles are joining up, and you know, I'm looking better than I did before. And when you look at it, these these thoughts are all a bit more positive than they might have been, you know. And not only that, not only are these thoughts a little bit more positive, there's a serious negation or absence of the negative thoughts that might have been going on in daily life. So looking at these streams of thoughts that are coming back, I mean, we're coming past me, we've got positive thoughts going on, we've got, we've got um, behaviours that fall into a good category, and therefore we've got reasonable or buoyant emotions. Now, so, so that, that kind of triad that we know to be so um, instrumental in our well-being, you can see is, is over most people's fence in terms mm. of um, positive. If you look at what we've got now, that what we could have, now don't start me on the media or whatever you do, but um, you know, our system of governance being the, the political parties, for some reason have chosen in the past to put all information about them, their activities and the results through the media. The media uh, have a, an incredible way of delivering this in quite um, in a regime that um, we would normally suggest would indicate a difficult personality. So if you had a friend that used the structures that the national media does, you would quickly avoid that person. The bad news in, in quick succession, in, in a very black and white kind of regimented way, uh, with no scope for an, another interpretation, usually blaming another person and reminding you that without something done, things could go badly wrong. 
and, and and those things that we know if we were so embedded embed those in a personality we could be looking at someone that rhymes with jump uh, you know and, and that, is, so, you know, that is absolutely fascinating but yeah and if you but, if you were sat near them in the pub you'd quickly be making your excuses and going sat you know sitting next to somebody who's more jolly and they're not oblivious to things that are going on in the world but they've learned some really um early lessons as they've emerged from childhood and gone through the corporate concrete operational uh, manner of thinking and and they've moved into if i give somebody too much of one thing at once their head will go down i, I need to sandwich that with some good news i need to it need I need to put on a buffet. This doesn't all need to be, you know, ribs. Yeah. And and so the media, with their constant, um, you know, barricading people in with here's a problem, here's here's how it's getting worse, here's how we don't have solutions for it. And again, not criticising the government and what they're doing, but they only get to act through the medium of the media. And, and, and they can pick and choose what they want. They can tell you what they want. And these aren't, it, it, clearly, I, I, I can go out and say, this is not a balanced view, you know. When, when we're giving the rates of deaths of COVID and the risks involved of distancing and avoiding certain things, that doesn't mean to say that you have, uh, that cardiovascular is now off the table that you don't have to look when you cross the road, that you don't need to wear your seatbelt. Mm. All of the risks are still on the table. And unless we view things in balance, like in a buffet, this has a real detrimental effect on the human um, perspective of risk and how to mediate through life properly. So for me, switch it off. Don't listen to it at all. I couldn't if, agree more. If you want the kind of, if you feel that you need to feel, be connected to it, then make sure you limit yourself to a certain amount of it and don't bombard yourself with, with bad news all the time. The, the problem with risk and threat is it's a bit like a, I can use this analogy, you've been in the trade, it's a bit like a builder's bum. You can't stop looking at it. You, you, <laughs> you, it, you take your eyes off it and it gets worse. Yeah. You, 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 you have to keep your eye on it so that, you know where it is and when it's coming and, and and the news between a guy in a suit and the trumpets have a they've perfected this for years and it's not good for your health no um, i mean we've been watching the briefing most most but not all days um and the minute the, the minute they say right any questions from the media we switch it off because it is just i mean the government are doing an absolutely phenomenal job. The NHS are doing work that is beyond, beyond, way, way, way beyond what they signed up to ever do. You know, and the people that are involved in trying to sort of work out how to actually, how to implement vaccines and testing and design stuff, you know, none of these people signed up for this stuff. There's people, you know, that are on lecterns presenting stuff to the world that, that never signed up for it. It's not, they're not front of house people. And they are doing an absolute stellar job. And to be treated with, first and foremost, with such utter disrespect that the media can't even address them by their title properly, I think is disgusting. Secondly, the quality of the questions. I, 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 mean, I watched a couple of days and I was fascinated. And I wasn't fascinated by what the responses were from the government. 
I was more fascinated by the quality or the lack of quality in the questions because I felt that said more about the quality of journalism in our country than it did about anything else. And I mean, you've got, you've got an audience with a PM. We're in the middle of a worldwide pandemic that has meant we are effectively the country's in lockdown. And the, the most credible question that the head of the BBC could come up with was, are you seeing your mum on Mother and Sunday, Boris? Really? Is that really the depths that we've sort of fallen to in this country that used to have a brilliant set of journalists? I was just shocked. And it is just a downward spiral of negativity. There is no balance between actually how many people are affected, which, you know, is tens of thousands of people. We cannot play that down. But I said to Gemma yesterday, but how many people have died of other things? Let's get some perspective to this. You know, I deal with risk all day, every day. If I'm not looking at the risks and writing risk assessments for guys doing site-based activity, I'm looking at the risks in, in respect of a, a new tender I'm looking at. Or So I don't have a problem with risk. I love risk. But let's get it in a box on the table where we can see it and let's compare it to other levels of risk. So like you quite rightly said, Marcus, road accidents. How many people are dying of cardiovascular stuff? How many people die in the UK on an ordinary day of old age? How many people die of cancer? Let's get some comparables across all of those things. And then we might have a more meaningful conversation about just how damaging COVID-19 is. Indeed. Well, there's no good news to come out of the national news. They, they don't, you know, they, they're not going to tell you about a country that's doing well. They're going to tell you about one that wants to kick off or they, they, they want to portray it in a light where it's kicking off. There was a, a light bulb came on embarrassingly late in my life and, um, and it was um, it was from a it was an advert. I was driving my car. I know exactly where I was. I was coming off the motorway, and an advert came on. And I'm um, I, one of the things that there's a few things that I see wreck people's lives, and I could talk at length on them, and, I'm, and I will put my neck on the line and, and stand by it. One of them is is gambling and the betting shops, um, particularly the online bingos. Uh, just bad news in a in a great big parcel and, and the advert started and it said there's a new casino in, and, and as you know from my accent I'm from Bolton where we switch a light on if we like something and um, <laughs> it's, it's, it doesn't get more complicated than that and and we've we've got enough casinos and it's not a rich place and people struggle and it said there's a new casino in town and in this casino for every pound you put in we're going to guarantee you get eight back. Um, and I was flashed with incredulity, uh, outrage, what the heck. And what it was, it was, um, it was actually an advert for radio advertising. What they were saying, if their if they're advertising team um, selects you as, a, as an entity to go forward, then for every pound you put into radio advertising, they'll give you eight back. I started to look into this. and. And every pixel that goes on a television screen is, we'd be naive to think that it, it wasn't accounted for and put there. Adverts are absolute dynamite in terms of the economy and, um, and, and the uh, rate of consumption of the, of the people that it serves. Now, one of the problems that, one of the problems I have with that is when we look back, the psychology as a subject, we, 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 the brain is a, a, an incredibly complicated thing. 
we can't claim to know very much about it. We can watch what goes in and watch what comes out. And we, you know, there are neuroscientists who, who, who you know, who fantastic at their interpretation of what's going on, and I can't even comment on that stuff. But they, they're very, very good. But they'd be the first to admit we still don't know a lot now. In, in a bid to try and not embarrass myself on talking of these matters and understanding some of the um, some of the, the things that uh, neuroscientists talk about, I I like to pull things along a timeline. There's a great TED talk taught me a lot, and it's guy uh, Roar or Roy Roy or Rory Sutherland, um, and it's about perspective is everything. A very very sharp guy, and he's in advertising. And he was at the start of my journey looking into this. And he says, when you get a problem, um, where the problem starts and you think it finishes, get hold of it and pull it and, 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 and pull it outwards. And, he, and he, he talked about helping Virgin trains when they wanted to talk, put high speed trains on from Manchester to London. And he, and he conducted a test with, uh, I think it was 50 people and asked them, well, what, what do you do 10 minutes before you get on the train? Um, and they said, well, well, go and get a coffee and buy a newspaper. And what do you do when you get off the train? Well, I'll race to the office and go and check my emails. So, so this guy said to Virgin Trains, well, right, well, save yourself millions, spend 20 grand, put a fantastic coffee machine, um, uh, a round of papers and Wi-Fi on all your trains and slow them down. Um, and, and people won't need to get there, you know, twice as quick. They'll, they'll do everything that we're going to do in that time that they've saved. And it's about looking at problems like that. And, and the same, I find the same thing invaluable when you're looking at human psychology and pull it apart and think, well, you know, you've heard this idea that we only use 10% of our brains. Well, you know, if evolution's anything to go by, it didn't kick 90% of grey matter into our skulls just on the off chance. So we, we can rule that out as ridiculous. And, you know, every, every neuron and every cell that's of an intracranial nature worked really hard to get there through a selection process. Now, when you think that every child in the States, a recent, uh, not that recent now, but it's, it's said that, that they know 10,000 corporate logos, colours and jingles, sounds by the time they're eight years old. And those, wow. and those are in, embedded in their brain and they will never, ever forget them, ever. So, so we're, we're a hard drive with, on average, 86 billion neurons in this brain, which is a lot. And, but those, all those pathways that work really hard to get in your head uh, and, and, and be on standby, you know, particularly as a child, have now been absorbed and hijacked by the advertisers and the corporations. And, and, and it's not that, you know, people say to me, I don't watch adverts. I, I, will, I will leave the room if I can't mute the TV. Um, and that causes a lot of people annoyance, would you believe it? But um, if, if, you, um, if you open your mind to be saturated by that, people say to me, well, are you really going to rush out and buy Daz Automatic if you listen to the advert? Is it that much of a problem? And I say, no, it's not a problem. But the memory sites that that attaches itself to and that I'll never forget were something far more important. Uh, we're, we're, we're destined for something far more important than a brand of shopping uh, washing powder. And, you know, 
we, we can take children nearly 20 points up the IQ scale by only letting them listen to um, classical music. And that's not because there's something inherently intelligent about classical music. That's because they're not memorizing all the lyrics that classical mu that, that, that pop music brings with it. And we're saturating our brains full of this very circular, full of this very black and white material that stop us thinking freely, you know? Well, and, and, and... I was talking to somebody, I think it was a lady I was doing some sales training with a while, a while ago now, probably six or seven weeks ago. And she 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 she's been doing been in sales her whole life and she's done an awful lot of training and she'd got this this number that the average human being so this is just a, a and it's a, a massive massive study i think it was something like fifty thousand people they polled and and used as as people to work it out and they reckon the average person consumes 32 gigabytes of data a day 32 gig that is and that's the average person so there's quite a lot of people that, that don't probably consume that amount. So at the upper levels, what kind of number must people actually be taking on board to bring that back down to 32? Yeah. And, 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 what, and, and this isn't about how much is shone at your brain. Hmm. If we look at the evolutionary model, it's how much it can receive. So if you think about all this time that we've been um, uh, evolving, in, in, in the way that we have, you know, if you take, if you take the evolutionary scale from, and, and again, I'm, I'm listening to people who know more about it than me, but the idea is that human evolution 300 million years ago to now is represented as a meter. Well, if you take um, a, a, the, the width of a nail, not, not the length or the, the, sorry, the depth of a nail, less yeah. than a millimeter at, at one end and less than a millimeter at the other, Everything in between that is the Stone Age. Everything. Wow. So, so we've evolved to be Stone Age creatures and everything that goes along with that. And, and I'm, I find particularly fascinating the way that we've lived in the Stone Age, in groups, how we've organised ourselves, how we've kind of become the most, by far and away, the most successful, um, uh, not organism, but species, on the planet, but um, also the most um, violent species on the planet, far and away, I think we need to wake up to that, and, and the most um, self-aware species possibly on the planet. And, and these, these neural sites that we now bombard with utter garbage, I mean, when you look at um, pop songs without wishing to offend anybody, they are the ramblings of uh, drug addicts who've been to therapy in a nutshell I know I shouldn't say that's a bit disrespectful but that's what they are um, and and it's kind of you think wow you know we, we might get the odd one like John Lennon who comes up with a bit of a blinder but the rest are utter drivel that they, they will just go round and round in your head and give you absolutely nothing um, will contribute nothing to your mental health or your day you know, and, and, and the problem-solving strategies that we need to move forward to navigate this very difficult life that we all find ourselves in, they are worse than useless in assisting you. And, and yet, I can, I mean, I love ABBA, don't get me wrong, but I could tell you about um, every, there isn't one lyric 
that I can't uh, that I can't tune into quickly and give you the next line to. Now that has just forced itself in my mind indelibly what was supposed to be there. You know, and if we look at if we look at um, uh, the Stone Age and the um, the the idea that groups lived together very harmoniously in a way that they um, they were they were very much self sufficient. And the storytellers and the the uh, the myth and legend that that served an amazing purpose in order to keep group cohesion and, if you like, monitor the reward circuit when things weren't too good to avoid anxiety and to avoid depression. That, you know, those things were really important to us. So important that evolution has chosen to select them again and again and again to today. And, and we are mistreating them to the, I won't go into any particular artist, we're mistreating them to the point that we're filling our heads full of this rubbish. You, you know, you get a tune in your head, you can't get rid of it. And it's like kind of, that's, that's abuse in my mind. It's just, it's just absolute, you, you, it, it's vandalism for your brain, you know. That's a good way to sum it up, actually, vandalism of your brain. <laughs> Certainly. Treat, treat it with more respect. It, it, it's a tool that you need. And, and you can fine-tune it. You can keep this, you can select this material. Um, okay, you've, it, it's, it's happened up to now. But, you know, for your kids, keep them away from adverts. Keep them away from lyrical music. And, and watch their IQ jump into the next degree of freedom. And that's all you have to do, you know. That's it, fascinating. Um, yeah, yeah. So one of the other things that I wanted to just touch on briefly is sleep and the importance of sleep. So right now, I mean, our, we've always had a pretty sort of hardcore routine. I used to sort of get up and leave at five. Jim would be up at sort of six, six thirty. Um, that's totally out of window because obviously I'm not going out to site at all. Um, I've been out and measured a couple of jobs at tender stage. Um, but what we are finding is that we're going to bed later uh, and probably getting up later. Um, but we are getting, we're getting more sleep. Um, and we actually, we both feel better for it. And one of the things that I picked up um, that you were talking to someone about recently was the, just, just how damn important sleep is in maintaining good mental health. Can you just give us some, some thoughts around the background to that a, a little bit maybe? Again, I, I should qualify everything that I've spoken about today as not fact. You know, we in, in the in the scientific community that deals with the public, we are very careful not to deal in facts. We're dealing with uh, the outcome of the latest round of experimentation, and we've got nice guidelines, the World Health Organization, and other clinical guidelines that say this is what we know so far. This is what happened to the last thousand people. Um, these are the outcomes from that. It's not a fact. We don't deal in facts because we, we're still facts. Uh, truth is, 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 is thousands of years old and every 50 years it's changed. And, and there's no reason why that should start now. So um, everything that we, we talk about is, is within those um, captions. However, sleep is at one end of that. And, and the latest scientific research to come out of uh, neuroscience in particular um, and um, observational studies with uh, in, in terms of behavior um, is right at the end of you can rely on this really heavily now um, that sleep 
is is a game changer. Um, the uh, the ideas that, and again, we shouldn't eliminate other risks, but the idea that diet was a big deal, which it is, has has gone to the wall in studies where they've taken um, uh, uh, polyphasic sleep uh, patterns away from people that are used to used to it. Their health deteriorates, even though they're on good diets. Um, oh, wow. So, yeah. Um, now. The great thing is we're learning a lot more about sleep. It, it, you know, dreams and, and what happens is a, is, a, is a bit of a mystery. And poor buggers who end up with uh, sleep disorders tell us a lot about what goes offline when sleep is disturbed. But there's a brilliant book by a guy called Matthew Walker. I'm pretty sure it's Matthew Walker, and it's called Why We Sleep. He, he's a prominent neuroscientist. Um, I'm not sure where he's from, but, uh, but that, that is an exceptionally good book. Um, but it's a scary book. It's a really scary book because it tells us the importance of sleep on our mental well-being primarily and our physical well-being. And I could bore you for hours on on uh, frightening you into that. Basically, the, the the idea is there is nothing more important than your sleep. Nothing. Every cell on this planet, because the um, because the sun moves around us and we have a night and day situation, every cell on the planet has what's called a circadian rhythm. And, and that is a part of the brain that is aware of the on and off, uh, um, you know, intrusion of light and energy. And we're discovering more and more physiological changes or, or aspects to that in the, the human eye, the human brain, and, and everything to do with um, what we do when we do it and why we do it so there's an area of the brain called the suprachiasmatic nuclei and, and this is governed by um, a, a ganglia at the back of the eye which runs up the for anybody who's interested the retinal hypothalamic tract up to the SCN um, and this informs us of night and day and is constantly reminding our physiology of what state of play we are in terms of the, the night and day sequence. Oh wow! Yeah. Now um, there are there are a number of uh, systems at work. Um, there's the adenosine system. There's the uh, there's the melatonin system, um, and the and another few factors. Now the importance of sleep. Again, I could. I just don't know where to start with it. Um, if if you don't sleep, if you don't sleep well then you, it, it will affect your health. One of the very worst ends of, of psychological difficulty and psychosis is so keenly linked to sleep deprivation, they can't separate the two. Psychosis and sleep deprivation are the two. They're, they're both the same thing. Just, it's very difficult to pull them apart. Um, so you've got someone with psychosis, you've got someone with sleep deprivation. And wow. That's fascinating that they're so closely linked. They're almost inextricably linked, as you said. Indeed, indeed, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, and, 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 a, and a terrible kind of uh, indictment that is. Now, if we go to more moderate, the there was an experiment done in America where, the, the, without boring you with all the sleep stages, one of the, pro, the ones you've probably heard of are REM sleep, REM, yep. randomized mm -hmm. movement. And um, this happens in every stage of sleep but it tends to crescendo towards the end of the night. 
So you can end up in the situation where, you know, if you get up to go fishing and you get up at four in the morning, you can miss all your REM sleep. So, so you can cut back on 20% of your sleep and miss 80% of your REM sleep. Now, REM sleep is the restorative component, not the, you know, from what we know, the, re the restorative component of sleep. Um, and uh, so much so, and it's really important, you know, in utero for, for, um, for, for the, the growing fetus, uh, REM is, is what we call neurogenerative. And if, and if, a, and if, a, and if a fetus should, should make, miss any portion of its REM sleep, the, neurogen, the, neurogenes, the neurogenesis that's taking place and building the brain will stop and won't start to the next phase. And that component will be missed. So oh, it's, wow. Yeah, so it's absolutely crucial um, uh, sleep in, in utero is, is, is made to our REM sleep. Uh, they're in there pretty much all the time, but that's another topic. Now, um, this experiment in, uh, in America revealed the, the implications of REM sleep on youngsters. Now, in America, they go to sleep, they go to school a lot earlier. So I think the school in question, I think it was Colorado, was it? I'm not sure. I could find out the experiment and we could post it up. We'll yeah. do. I think they start at school at about quarter past half past seven in the morning. Now, now what, what came out of this was brilliant because the kids there, Jammy Devils, being a petrol head myself, unlike in motorbikes, they, they, um, they, they have driving licenses at 16. So a lot of those children go to school that early are drivers. Now, um, so, so the very forward thinking um, governance there during this experiment delayed the uh, school start. I think it was half past nine or 10 o'clock in the morning. So what they got was a, a sector of society who enjoyed a full episode of sleep. Now, youngsters, their circadian rhythm tends to shift forward. So it starts later in the night and they get up later in the morning, which means their REM sleep is packed right at the end of their sleep pattern. Now, what this meant was that all of a sudden, they got REM sleepers who re-enjoyed that portion of sleep. Real strange things happened here. There was an intertwining of statistical evidence. And, and, and what they found was, I won't, it was somewhere between a 60 to 80% reduction car accidents in that age group when that ran. Wow. To, to give you a comparison, they look back at the other statistics uh, when ABS was introduced, and that brought a 20% reduction in accidents. That's so you phenomenal, can, isn't it? Yes, it is. Wow. So, so you can see that, you know, the, the idea is that we, that we take our sleep more seriously than any other aspect of our health because it underpins it all. Mm. And, and I think Matthew Walker suggests in his book, um, do you know, I might have it, it's there, it's there. I've not just put it off the shelf. So, so there's the book, um, Matthew Walker, obviously. Brilliant. I, I, I didn't have there, but there, 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 are, there are other great books that I could point you to. <laughs> I have a whole series of them, but um, uh, so, so there's, yeah. Um, I could put them up, but it's uh, for another time. Um, in his in his book, he, he he says that your best use of your alarm clock is to set it at night. Set your alarm clock at, at, at a reasonable time to go to bed, and and leave it downstairs. Go to sleep at a reasonable time. Leave your phone, um, 
leave any source of what we call blue light. So blue light has a, a frequency of about 400 nanometer wavelength. So, so very small. Uh, it's at one end of the visible light spectrum. And, and, and it resonates with this, this cell at the back of your eye called a ganglia. And even congenitally blind people can pick up on this. And it activates that SCN, suprachiasmatic nuclei, which controls pituitary action and um, aden not adenosine, but uh, melatonin. So from the, from the first thing in the morning, your adenosine starts to build as a hormone and your, um, a few things need to happen. As, as that builds to, a, to a, um, a, a tipping point, we need a one degree drop in temperature. We need melatonin drop, an absence of uh, light, and, and, and lack of um, what we call H, HPA um, activity, which uh, is a stress, um, a stress response, um, so that so that you're not stressed. You get those things right, and you will fall asleep. Um, uh, the melatonin will drop, um, and, and 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 you'll enjoy sleep. Now, one of the things that keeps us awake is, or has an effect on these this part of the brain that's trying to interpret when is light and when is dark is this blue light. Now every device that we've got, whether it be a smartphone, a TV, a tablet, they all project blue light which shines on this retina. Now if you think of youngsters who, uh, who spend a lot of time on the phones um, and, and these, these devices, their, their retina is being um, bombarded with information that's contrary to the environment. Now, does it mean that because you looked at your phone you can't sleep? No, but it's having an effect and, and the quality of the sleep that we have is being affected in ways that we don't even understand yet. Uh, the easy, most, um, the most obvious uh, rationale is, as Matthew Walker says, sorry, getting back on topic, set your alarm, go to bed, leave your phone downstairs, leave your alarm clock downstairs and wake up naturally because that's at the point when your um, REM sleep is, sorry, when your REM sleep is, um, is complete. Now, I suppose looping this into the original topic of this podcast is, is what we call HPA activity. And this is, this is a, a circuit within the body. So you've got the hypothalamus, which is a, a very important brain region. You've got the pituitary gland, and you've got the adrenal glands. And when we detect or perceive a threat um, of any nature, any nature at all, something that's important to you, um, we, um, we will see activity in, in this triad and it will produce adrenaline. And adrenaline in the bloodstream will have a number of effects on the body, um, uh, some involving cortisol, which aren't good for us. But, but it will prevent us from sleeping. Now, one of the common misconceptions is that um, having a drink helps you sleep. And there's an argument to this because having a drink is, uh, it, 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 it reduces cortical arousal. So it stops you thinking. Alcohol stops you thinking clearly. And if you drink alcohol and you stop thinking clearly, it may, um, it may have a... Um, it may help you get to sleep in the first place. However, 
there is a substance on the planet which is completely um, uh, contrary to, to REM sleep. It, it destroys REM sleep and, and it is remarkable in its ability to do this. And it's alcohol. And this is one of the things we don't shout about loudly enough, I don't think, in the NHS, that we, that we tell people, your sleep is crucial and alcohol will destroy it. It, it, it is, you, you can, you can, you know, people can say, well, I was out cold all night. Well, yeah, you were, but you didn't have any REM sleep. And that's the restorative sleep. Now, for, for youngsters who are um, studying at school, without REM sleep, you don't take information from your short-term memory to long-term memory. So you, you, you can't learn and drink. It doesn't happen. There's, there's only certain, you know, um, learning functions that take place under those conditions, and they aren't good ones. Well, that is that is fascinating. I mean, I struggle with my sleep and have done for a while, but for for a number of different reasons. So I might have to uh, do some work on that. So we need to kind of round things up because I'm conscious of we're keeping you for quite a while, which is hugely valuable, and we really appreciate your time. Um, If you had to give sort of two or three sort of quick tips to people that might be struggling right now um, in these times we find ourselves in. What, what might they be? And then lastly, if you could just let us know how people can maybe reach out if they wanted to connect with you um, and, and like what you had to say. Um, if you want to finish up with, with that, it would be a good place to stop. Yeah, so, so nationally in the UK, if you're struggling now, IAT is active and they're, they're, um, they're utilising digital platforms. And these evidence tells us, and, and evidence is the last thousand people that went through and were looked at very carefully. Evidence tells us it's as good as face-to-face. So if you go onto Google and you type in IAT and the town that you live, a number will come up, ring them, engage with them. Um, they're, they're great people and they'll be able to help you. And they use, they use measures to, to kind of look at your symptoms and whether they can help you or not. If they can, um, um, refer yourself in. You, can, you, you don't need your GP to do that. So that's the first thing you can do. Um, limit your... Limit your um, exposure to the media. I think I've made my thoughts pretty clear on that. Sorry, anyone who's in the media. Um, oh, I'm not sorry. But, um, uh, and again, um, you, try and protect your sleep as best you can. In the absence of that, something is equally as good. And this came out of research by, I think she's called Kathleen Blackburn, or Catherine Blackburn, um, I won a Nobel Peace Prize for a work on genetics and the uh, DNA structure and the telomeres at the end. And what she found was 13 minutes, one, three, 13 minutes of mindful meditation of day, uh, mindful meditation per day is restorative to your um, DNA. The health benefits are colossal. 13 minutes. It's not easy to do. It's best to do it early in the morning. Um, but get an app on your phone and start learning how to meditate it's a game changer brilliant listen thanks ever so much for your time Marcus that's been not beyond helpful but also for me thoroughly enjoyable as well and I could carry on talking to you for, for probably the rest of today and, and for, for days in the future so it might be that we sort of reach out to you in the future to um, smash it chat around some other yeah. subjects so, but in the meantime good. thank you ever so much for your time wonderful thank you Thanks for listening to the On The Block podcast 
We hope you enjoyed the show. To find out more about the work that Richard does, please visit his website, www.stonecontracts.com. And if you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave a rating and review on the platform you use to enjoy his show. Thanks for listening and see you soon on the blog.